The following is presented to you in a round sound. It was recorded with whatever was lying around. Lady, don't take no shit. Insist on respect the sister. Walk around like a woman. She won't speak less of something worse. Singing, don't play. The girl take herself so seriously. People stare curiously. She got a natural way. Her hips sway furiously. Yeah, the luxuriously. Hey, this is Lady Don't Take No, your weekly roundup of all of the real and none of the fake. I'm your host, Alicia Garza. This show is pro-Black, pro-queer, proudly feminist, and pro-do-what-you-like. Every week, you're going to get the best of what goes on in my head, what we loving on, and what we hating on, what we might be, and what we ain't going to do politics, pop culture, the slap heard around the world, and why we're still talking about this shit, we cover it all. We know that no matter where you are, it's a challenging time, a changing time, a time of transformation. It's all the things all the time nowadays, but we are going to help you understand the dynamics of this time every single week. So be sure to tune in, tell a friend, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. We do it for the culture, so the pod is free 99 because we know that with a country in chaos, the least we could do is keep you from putting your money anywhere else than where it's needed. All the clerks want to offer you help. All the folks compliment you stuff. All little children want to jump in your lap. Girl, I want to do that myself. Our guest this week is a native Buffalonian and former Democratic nominee for mayor of Buffalo. After a long career as a registered nurse in Buffalo's Children's Hospital and public schools, she decided to devote her life to systemic change in the pursuit of justice and equity for all. Her work as a community organizer finds her advocating for everything from police accountability to fair housing and food justice. Currently, this powerhouse of a human is serving as a senior advisor to the New York Working Families Party. I am so excited to have her on the podcast today, and you will soon see why. Please welcome India Walton. Hey, India. Hey, Alicia. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, it's such a pleasure to have you. And, you know, you are a registered nurse, as we just talked about. So this question is going to be perfect for you because you believe in science. (laughs) (laughs) There are a lot of people out here who think the panini, the panorama, the panoramic is over. However, we are still very much in a pandemic and it is still shaping all of our lives. And in fact, I hear there's a new variant coming into town. So I got to ask you, what has your pandemic life been like? And have you developed any unique habits live and direct from Miss Rona? Well, even before the pandemic, um, being a nurse, I've always had a tendency to hand wash and wipe down surfaces. Um, (laughs) But I think that working from home is an an interesting new habit that I have. I'm not used to that. And also being held up with my children for many, many hours a day has been kind of new for me. So, (laughs) but it's definitely not over. Omarion is like dancing all through the U.S. right now. Crip walking is what we say here on this (laughs) podcast. So I got to ask you, India, you know, when all this first started and I remember kind of going to grocery stores, right? And the shelves were empty of things like toilet paper and paper towels, right? And people were freaking out. 
So we got into this like do-it-yourself kind of mentality. So I got to ask you, are there any new skills that you've developed uh, courtesy of Miss Rona? Yeah, um, I definitely planted a garden. I've become a collector of houseplants and I've gotten back into baking from scratch. So if you need tomatoes and bread, I'm your girl. (laughs) What's your um, go-to for baking? Is it bread? Is it pastries? It's something called a sweet house roll. Um, So it's a dinner roll, but it's a little bit on the sweeter side. It's very buttery and airy and light on the inside. So it's delicious stuff. I love that. I love that. Look, you ran an incredible, incredible race. And we are going to talk all about that and all of the turmoil (laughs) that was associated with that. But shout out first to Buffalo, New York, which is really doing big ass things. Did you run for office knowing that you always wanted to be an elected official or was it more kind of by accident? I knew for a long time that I had a calling to make a significant change for my city. I didn't know that it would be in the office of mayor, but after what we saw in 2020, I just couldn't let it ride. Um, I had to do something and it seemed like the timing was right. So I just went for it. Mm -hmm. Were you involved in your community before? Tell me a little bit about the work that you were doing prior to this in Buffalo. In in 2015, 2016, I became an organizer. Um, I worked on criminal legal, police reform, and the statewide campaign to legalize adult use cannabis. Mm, Wow. So I was in the community. I learned how to knock doors. Eventually, I had an opportunity to be one of the co-founders of a community-based organization that develops affordable housing called the the Fruit Belt Community Land Trust. So that also, again, just sort of made my ties to the community that much stronger. But I'm a lifelong Buffalonian and Buffalo is very small. If you know five people, you know 50. So it wasn't that far-fetched of an idea for me to pursue some sort of office eventually because folks were used to seeing me in the forum, in the town hall meeting, at the common council meeting, speaking truth to power. Mm -hmm. And um, this instance was really no different. Tell me a little bit about what's going on in Buffalo, New York. Like, why does Buffalo need a new mayor? Who, child. (laughs) (laughs) Buffalo is the third poorest city of its size in the nation. It's one of the most segregated. I mean, we call Main Street, you know, sort of the dividing line where 80% of the Black population lives east of Main Street and the difference is palpable. There are fewer trees. It's hotter in the summer. There is a real lack of access to food. Um, There are blocks and blocks of neighborhoods on the east side where the current mayor's policy has been to demolish in order to fight blight, but there's been no comprehensive development plan to replace the lost housing stock. So in many neighborhoods, they have there are urban prairies. There are deer in the middle of the city and um, thousands of city-owned lots with overgrown grass and no plan to restore what has been lost for the the community of the east side. So those are just a few of the reasons why Buffalo really needs a new mayor. But I think all in all, Western New York deserves new, fresh 
progressive leadership with bold ideas that put the people in the center of our policy and priorities because it hasn't been that way for as long as I can remember. Your race was actually projected nationally. It's not often, right, that a city like Buffalo, New York, gets so much national attention. Talk to us a little bit about how that race was. Why was it all over the newspapers, like the New York Times, and everybody was talking about you, girl. So tell us a little bit about it. I knew, and my team knew, and we talked about it a lot, that in order to have any chance of defeating a 16-year heavily entrenched incumbent, we needed to get some national attention. We were going to need that to be able to fundraise competitively. We were going to need that to be able to control the narrative and tell our story because we know that our local media tends to trend toward supporting incumbents no matter what. So our strategy from the very beginning was to just like shoot in the dark and hope someone answered and use our national movement connections to get early endorsements from folks like People's Action and, and people who we knew were connected, it could draw that buzz to get folks like Bernie on board, people like Alicia Garza, um, <laughs> like AOC. Um, you know, we have friends who knew Ani DeFranco, who's a Buffalo native, but who has sort of a, a broad reach. So we definitely put a lot of effort into attracting attention from who a lot of folks would say are outsiders. But to me, they are people who have the same values that we have, who understand the fight that we're fighting, and who we need the support from to be able to fight back the dominant narrative from corporate Democrats and those who mean us no, no justice and no liberation. Mm-hmm. India, you made history by winning your mayoral primary, and then shit hit the Fan, honey, (laughs) shit hit the fan. I just want to read for our listeners a quote uh, from a article that I was reading uh, in preparation for this podcast. Uh, And the quote was, Democrats have talked for years about the need to ensure that more women, especially Black women, who are often said to be the party's backbone, occupy high-level roles within the party. At the same time, a rising cohort of Democratic strategists is spreading the gospel of popularism, which basically means avoiding alienating woke language and controversial topics like immigration and defunding the police in favor of focusing on things already known to be popular, like jobs and kittens. (laughs) I thought that was an excellent quote. But in all reality, what happened as you moved into the general was actually quite odd in that um, both Democrats and Republicans teamed up to defeat you. Yeah, um, it's not really that odd for us here because the ruling class, no matter whether they call themselves a Democrat or a Republican, all represent the same thing. And that is the enclosure of wealth and power and the maintenance of that enclosure, right? So although I won the Democratic primary and for the last hundred years in Buffalo, The person who won their party's primary went on to be the mayor, except in one case. We saw the current mayor and his defeat double down. And not only did he actively collude with Republicans, but also members of the far right who we know were involved in the January 6th insurrection. Like known white supremacists were funding and supporting this campaign. And it wasn't a pro-Brown campaign. It was definitely an anti-India 
campaign. Um, I was attacked um, in the media, not only my character, but like physically. There were people who threw cups of coffee at me. Um, Times when I was followed around the mall and, and yelled and shouted down, like it got really, really uncomfortable. And how did you deal with that? I mean, that's a lot of pressure and animosity to be dealing with both as a mother, as a Black woman, as a human being. I mean, I know a little bit about this kind of animosity. Tell people who are listening how you persevered. I am still, I am still dealing with it. I'm still healing from it. But I think, you know, just trying to surround myself with good people. And I have friends in Oakland from Movement Generation who once said, if it's the right thing to do, we have every right to do it. And I just kept saying, this is the right thing. This is the right thing to do. And that was it. But I mean, practically, we have full-time armed security. (laughs) You know, I never travel anywhere alone. I don't answer calls from numbers that I don't recognize. I try and very much limit my exposure and my interactions on social media and just all types of things where I am able to protect my peace and sanity and I've had to have some real conversations with my children about what is reality and what is not. And sometimes people say things that are not true to make you look bad, but you have to know your loved ones and they know their mother well enough to know that I do what I do out of love and care for my, my family and my community. Mm. That's really powerful. That's super powerful. And in so many ways, one of the things that I really want our listeners to take out of this conversation is to let this radicalize you right? This is what it means to try and create change in this archaic system. So why, dear listeners, when somebody would take the risk to stand up and move an agenda on our behalf, would you sit home and say, you ain't finna vote? Okay, we're going to come back to that in a minute. (laughs) But India, I've got to ask you, given everything that you have endured, experienced, and seen, which is a lot of corruption and bullshit, are you going to run again? I am. Um, I am not a person who plans for the future based on what I want. I tend to be moved by what I feel in my spirit and what my community needs. So I have a plan in my mind for the next five years, but you never know, right? If the mandate is there, I might run for city council. We'll see. But for now, I just want to continue to build. I want to continue to educate and to enable people who are interested to be a part of this process, whether that be as field directors and operators, whether that be as organizers or whether that be as candidates themselves. I want people to know that all of those things are possible and they are all necessary. But what we have to do is we have to take our activism off of Twitter um, and, and really get into the city halls, into the chambers of our city councils and onto our boards and commissions, you know, on the water authority or school board or wherever, and really begin to pull the levers of power in, in, in our direction. a little bit about your vision for Buffalo, New York, and why that was such a threat to the current status quo. 
my vision for Buffalo is one where people live lives that are dignified, um, where people have autonomy and self-determination. I really had a comprehensive strategy to rebuild the East Side and put investments in neighborhoods that have been forgotten. And that's sort of how we saw this flip-flop in where I won in the primary and where I won in the general election. In the primary, my supporters were primarily white, middle-class, college-educated folks. And in the general, after the word got out, it was mostly Black folks, young folks, renters, people who have been disenfranchised. And I just want to make a point, and I'll continue to say this, I still won the Democratic vote in the general election. I still won the Democrats. But (laughs) Republicans came out in force like they never do to ensure that, again, the threat of a level playing field, and I won't even say a level playing field, because equity means that those who have been disadvantaged are given advantages to help get them to zero, because we've never been to zero here in in Buffalo, not in the 39 years I've been alive. Mm -hmm. So just the, the reclamation of resources for people who need the most, the participation of people in their government, not making unilateral decisions, not deciding what's best for people, but really being out in communities and neighborhoods and asking people what they need and what they want for themselves. We were going to have participatory budgeting. We're going to have true accountability for police. We're going to overhaul our Buffalo Municipal Housing Authority. We had very lofty goals. And I know that all of it couldn't have been accomplished in four years, but we would have really, really made a significant difference. So I'm sad that it's not happening in the way that I had originally envisioned, but I do know that there is the potential to still get some things done. Mm. One of the things I'd noticed about your race that I think we're going to continue to see in this upcoming midterm election season is a real fear-mongering around socialism. Um, Mm -hmm. What Republicans and Democrats together did to keep you from winning was scare tactics. And one of the scare tactics that they used, right, was drumming up fears and anxieties about socialism and calling you a socialist. Talk to us a little bit about what that means to you, um, because I do think it's a boogeyman out there, right, that if people actually just pulled back the curtain, you would see it's just a little man on a milk crate with a microphone. It's really not. It's really not that wild. It's not as wild as you think. So please talk to people about what that actually means. Socialism means that before we give $850 million to a person whose net worth is $6 billion, We are taking care of our children, our most vulnerable. We are investing in infrastructure. We are remediating lead pipes and paint, right? Like socialism means that the government, rather than giving away large subsidies to corporations to pad their shell companies and send Elon Musk to the moon, Mm -hmm. that we are making sure there's a sidewalk on every street, there are crosswalks, um, traffic calming measures, and that we have basic infrastructure to keep people safe. It means that people don't have to be homeless. It means that we are more concerned with the health and well-being of our residents than we are with the funders 
who support our campaigns for re-election. So I don't see anything wrong with that. And, you know, I think it's a shame that the Democrats are saying, well, the crazy leftists and socialists are taking over our party. And it's like, this is our party. You neoliberals have infiltrated what we are supposed to be doing. And now you're lying to people and saying that it's all our fault that we're losing. We're losing because you're making promises. You're not delivering. We're suffering. We're dying and we're tired. Mm, You better work. And just like that, it's time for our weekly roundup of all the things. (laughs) Whew, lady just ain't gonna do this week. Number one, act like Will Smith is a violent criminal because Chris Rock fucked around and found out. Okay, so... Lady was really hoping that this would be a piece of news that by the time it was mentioned here on this podcast, it would have just as soon been forgotten. But alas, we are still the fuck talking about Chris Rock getting slapped by Will Smith at last weekend's Oscar Awards. For those of you who somehow found bliss in being ignorant to this news, please tell me your secrets because I have been rolling my eyes so hard at all of the posturing and think-piecing and doing way the fuck too much that has been going on all this week. Now, first and foremost, I would like to reiterate that this conversation is purely and strictly a conversation that is appropriate to have amongst Black people. I am super uninterested in what non-Black people have to say about any of this, And I am absolutely uninterested in what white people have to say about this. And that's not to be shady or exclusive, but it is to say we have our own dynamics and conditions and you not finna, oh my goodness me, to death over some shit that is actually very legible in Black communities, especially when it doesn't happen on national television and in front of the whole country. If you didn't give a shit that niggas is getting slapped stabbed, shot, and otherwise in Black communities every single day, please do not take this opportunity to give a shit about it now. Just because it happened on a stage amongst two very wealthy Black people doesn't give you the license to share your opinion about it. I mean, you can feel free to sit this one out. We are unbothered and unconcerned about your hot takes. Now, for the white folks in particular, you absolutely have nothing to contribute on this topic. Now, if you're more outraged about Chris Rock getting the shit slapped out of him than you are about the atrocities of enslavement, the violence of colonialism, or even, even the violent insurrection and attempt to overthrow the United States government that happened on your watch and in your name, you are 100% a part of the problem and you can get the fuck out and stay out of this conversation. I said what I said, and I'll say it again. Do not give me any of that, because frankly, violence is inherent to whiteness. It is a critical component of how whiteness functions. You get to be white because violence enacted on non-white people every single day enforces and upholds whiteness. So no more of this shock that y'all are expressing. Hush, darling. Lady also has been incredibly dismayed at how much we as Black people covet the approval of white folks. Now, I saw so, so, so many comments this week about how this made us look as a culture 
and it made me want to scream. Now, how it made us look exactly to who? I don't know Will Smith or Chris Rock, and I'm willing to bet 99% of you niggas don't either. So what happened between two people ain't really got shit to do with me or with you, frankly, and here's why. Everybody involved is going to be fine because they have the money, the power, and the access to be just fine. They have the resources to be resilient. And aside from some memes and maybe some dignity, they finna be all right. Now, as we speak, Chris Rock is making massive money. Will Smith just won an Oscar. He finna be good. Jada gonna be fine. Now, I'm gonna come back to all of them in a minute. But the moral of the story is that what two wealthy Black folks do does not reflect on the culture. Not in the way you Negroes is talking about. So, Stop being so worried about what white folk think about you because I guarantee you the feeling is not the fuck mutual. What racism actually means is that no matter what your individual achievements or personal behavior is, you are going to be judged, scrutinized, and discriminated against because the structure of our society does not allow for exceptions. Just ask Will Smith. So my point here is that you ain't gotta like what he did But don't do it on behalf of what white people gonna think. Now, here's the other thing annoying to me about this last week. There was a lot of posturing and bullshit. Now, what I hate about us as a society is that we are quick, quick, quick to judge without looking at ourselves and our own contradictions. Now, I saw some of y'all spouting off at the mouth about shit. And I know all y'all in real time. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. Didn't you just tell me how you just got in a physical fistfight with one of your family members a few weeks ago? I mean, what you talking about? Violence is never okay. You were just being violent in your own life. But the difference is you get to live a more private life where not everybody can see all your fucking mess. Humanness. Human mess, but mess nonetheless. But don't be over here talking about what the moral and right thing to do is when you don't live up to that standard in your own life. Now, come on, people. Just stop this shit. Now, I'm going to say something that's controversial, but should not be. This was not about Jada. It wasn't about protecting her or whatever. This was all about Will and what was going on for Will in that very moment. It wasn't about chivalry. It wasn't about protecting Black women. It wasn't about none of that. It was an emotional response that was all about Will and what he was going through. Now, lots of us hear fucked up shit, see fucked up shit, and we do nothing. And one thing we should understand as Black people specifically is what it feels like to not be able to do anything when someone we love is under attack in some way. Now, at this point, that shit's like in our DNA. Consequences are different for us when we fight back. And just because it happened between two Black people on the white man stage doesn't change the fact that this is a very, very human response to a perception of dehumanization. Chris Rock said some shit that was foul. It wasn't the worst thing he's ever said. Now, if I was going to run back the tapes, I would say it was worse when he sat up there with Louis C.K. and Jerry Seinfeld as the only Black person on the stage and let Louis C.K., talk about how him and Chris both say nigger with the hard ER. Now that is way worse and way more destructive, frankly, than Chris getting the taste slapped out his mouth because he fucked around and found out. Now, Will was not defending Jada's honor. He was defending his own. That man and his family has been the butt of a lot of jokes over the last two years, not just this one. But this one 
was one of the only times he could reach out and touch somebody if you catch my drift, and I most definitely understand that. Now, I don't condone it, but I understand it. And let me tell you something. I have imagined it myself. Now, I, however, do not have access, money, and power like they do. And so, unless I want my black ass to sit in jail because niggas is itching to get one off on the Black Lives Matter lady, I can't give these hands to as many people as deserve these hands. And I do believe that sometimes people ask for the hands they receive. Now, I am not a Buddhist and I am not a pacifist. I believe in and mostly practice the principles of nonviolence, but I'm going to tell you something. I also believe in the laws of cause and effect. And so I am sorry to all the white folks who have been running around using the phrase, fuck around and find out, but ain't really known what it meant. Now you know. And it really should have been over right then and there. This is not about people having thin skin. You really just have no idea on what condition you are going to catch people in during any given moment. And so in the Lord's year of 2022, after two years of this bizarre state of being with this fucking pandemic, it's best not to fuck around unless you'd like to find out. Now, this is the last thing I'm going to say about this because I don't know shit about Will and Jada's relationship besides that they've opened it up to all of us fucking vultures in really unfortunate ways when clearly they are still working out and working on their shit. Ain't no way in hell this should go any further than the slap heard across the world. I wish the fuck the Academy would try and enact some, uh, what are they calling it? Disciplinary measures on something they failed to intervene in at the moment. And all this pearl clutching needs to end today. Today, right now. Now, today ain't the day to try to be a good black to these white people. And yesterday wasn't the day either to allow these people to become some kind of arbiters of morality. You motherfuckers let Harvey Weinstein, okay, collect about a thousand awards on that stage, even though he was committing violent acts left and right all throughout your industry. Those women didn't fuck around only to find out. They were abused. And a lot of you motherfuckers looked the other way. I know good and damn well you ain't finna talk one word about morality when you motherfuckers celebrated, and I mean celebrated, Woody Allen all these years on that very stage. That nigga married his stepdaughter. Okay, so does anyone actually need to be the arbiter of morality here? Or can we just say, hey, Will, bro, you good? What you need? Because you clearly had a moment over there, bro. Can we just say, hey, Chris, you good? You might want to rethink and rein in that shit for a little bit, bro. You know, no need to cap on sis and her bald head. She actually has a disease. Can we just say, Jada, sis, you good? Can you and Will deal with your shit in private so y'all can really heal without trying to turn it into some ratings? And then once we do that, can we actually move the fuck on? It ain't like this erupted into a mob brawl. And sure, there are many, many musings to be had on violence, disability, gender, and the white gaze, and how much Black folks still crave it. But for now, I fear we gonna have to focus on stopping these Oscars people in their tracks, because they about to be out of their lane. And we all know what happens when you get out your lane. You liable to cause an accident. Now that's that on that. Other things Lady just ain't going to do this week is act like reparations ain't due to all Black people and not just some Black people. 
So leave it to California to be fucking bizarre. California's reparations task force just voted five to four to offer reparations to Black American descendants of slaves, but not Black people everywhere. The California Reparations Task Force was established as a result of Assembly Bill 3121 to study and develop recommendations and proposals for reparations for African Americans to determine the best way to educate Californians about the need for reparations and to identify appropriate remedies. Now, notice I did not say that this task force has any teeth or power, nor has California agreed to actually pay reparations. However, California is the first state in the nation to establish such a task force, and that does count for something. In this case, this task force voted narrowly this week that reparations should only be paid to descendants of free and enslaved Black people who were in the United States in the 19th century, as opposed to all Black people who were impacted by the slave trade, regardless of lineage. Now, Though possibly, most likely, well-meaning, this proposal, in ladies' opinion, is unfortunately deeply misguided. If we merely look at lineage alone, there are more white people in the United States that are direct descendants of enslaved Black people than there are Black people who are direct descendants of enslaved Black people. Yeah, I said that. And when you limit reparations based on lineage as opposed to the brutal system of race, you also unfortunately miss that part that this proposal would likely, if it were to have any power, end up distributing the majority of whatever money we're talking about to white people. Furthermore, slavery was not uniquely a United States mechanism. It was a global mechanism that extracted wealth and labor for the purposes of profit. Now, instead of targeting Black people, why not target the colonial powers who established slavery in the first place? Why would we not be demanding reparations from the United States and France and Portugal and Spain and Britain? Why are we so focused on which Black people get reparations as opposed to making sure that all the colonial powers involved are held accountable? Now, I have said this before and I will say it again. I am all for reparations and I am all for making sure that Black folks get our due. I am also all for understanding the complex and nuanced history of enslavement and how it established the world that we live in today. And ain't no way I'm on board for a proposal that lets folks off the hook based on some ain't enough for all of us to go around type shit. Okay. Let's move on to things that Lady loves this week. Here's what we want more of, okay? We need to move on. Lady loves that an anti-lynching bill was signed into law this week. Now, after more than 100 years and 200 attempts of this failing to get this law through Congress, President Biden signed the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act on Tuesday, which makes lynching a crime punishable by up to 30 years in prison. And it gives the federal government more tools to prosecute hate crimes and racial terror. Lynching can broadly be defined as the public killing of a person who has not received due process. And this new law defines lynching as whoever conspires to commit a hate crime offense that results in death or serious bodily injury that includes kidnapping or an attempt to kidnap, aggravated sexual abuse or an attempt to commit aggregated sexual abuse or an attempt to kill, shall, if death or serious bodily injury results from the offense. Now, that's interesting. 
The bill would also allow for consequences for everybody involved, regardless of their role in the crime. This is an important, symbolic first step that we hope gives up some substantive goods. Other things Lady loves this week, best friends and desert winds. I can't get into it all, but this week was really rough on Lady. And so we are giving shout outs to all the things that make it a little bit better. Besties and desert winds. Now y'all know I'm a Bay girl who will soon be a Southern belle, but I am stuck between my old life and my new life. And there is all kinds of turbulence in there. Suffice it to say. And luckily in the face of all that, I had the good sense to change my environment and get some perspective. And so I just so happened to have a bestie who lives in the desert. And so where did I go? Directly to the damn desert. Now, I am not at all going to apologize for being in some eat, pray, love stance right now, honey. There is nothing like that dry desert heat to dry up those tears. Now, hopefully soon you'll hear that I'm doing much better. And I promise you it'll come. But until then, just know I'm depending on deserts and besties to get me through. We're going to put Lady's love notes on hold this week as Lady sorts through all this broken glass on the ground, honey. But we will be back at it again next week because Lord knows ain't no shortage of things to discuss when you are single at 40 Wonderful and figuring out how to make your way. people find you on the socials india how can they follow your excellent work you can find me on twitter mostly <laughs> i am india walton for buffalo on twitter um i do have an ig and facebook that are kind of less active um india walton and eventually i'm going to relaunch my website and rebrand um at www.indiawalton.com the site is still live it's going to turn into a blog slash uh, chronicling of how i do my part to help save the world come through. I look forward to it. Thank you so much for being on with us today. You're amazing. Thank you. That's it for Lady Don't Take No. But I will be back here every single Friday morning to accompany you where there is a good chance you're probably commuting again. We appreciate you joining us. And please, 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 let's keep the conversation going. Tell us what's on your mind. Tell us what you like. And tell us what you ain't going to take no more of. On Twitter, we're at Lady Take. On Insta, we're at Lady Don't Take No Pod. We're also on Meta or Facebook or whatever the fuck. <laughs> at Lady Don't Take No Podcast by Alicia Garza. We post ways to do something about things you hear on this show all over our social media. So if we got you amped up today, check out the socials to find out how you can take action. And let's give a special shout out to Jahari Farrar for making sure that people get what they need from our socials. We appreciate you. Please subscribe and write us a review and let the people know what you've heard here today. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our incredible theme is by Latirix. And this pod is supported by the Black Futures Lab. And me, I'm your host, Alicia Garza. Remember, don't get your panties tied up in a bunch too much about Will and Chris unless you're ready to aim that mirror right back at yourself. 
To understand the state of race relations in this country, just consider that it took more than 100 years and 200 attempts to pass a law that said lynching is wrong and you'll be punished for it. And if you ever need a reprieve, head to the desert. It can hold everything you're holding and much more. That's right, I said it, because lady don't take no. Lady don't take no, she insists on respect the sister, walk around like a woman. Yeah. She won't speak, less it's something worse, singing, don't play. The girl take herself so seriously, people stare curiously. She got a natural way, her hips sway furiously, like a luxurious thing. Love y'all. Like the-